Hello, this is Pastor Matthew. I just want to take a moment personally to say thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. Our mission is to impact the valley and bless the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We encourage you to go check out our website at crosslinkva.com. By doing so, you can learn all about the ministries of Crosslink and how we're involved in the community. Please know we're praying for you. God bless you. If you're ready to open God's word, would you say amen? Amen. I am glad that you are. I want to ask you if you would to take God's word with you today and open it with me to Luke chapter one for this morning's message and for our time together today. Luke chapter one. Today we begin a new sermon series that we're going to look at over the course of the month of December. Uh, This series is not merely about the holiday. It's not merely about a season of celebration, though we are in a holiday and we are in a season of celebration known as Christmas. And I have to honestly confess to you, Christmas is by far one of my favorite times of the year. I love everything about it, including sitting and watching Hallmark movies with my daughter. So I pick on it a lot, but I have to admit that I do enjoy the lights and the music and all of those things. But more than just a season, I believe that what God is wanting to show us in this season is something specific. Not just merely the manger at Bethlehem, but this simple truth, that God is in control. Over the past 18 months or more now, there is a common question that I have been asked whether I have been with people inside the church or outside the church. Whether we've been on the sidewalk at Crosslink Community Church or I've been at a soccer field or a basketball court, a gymnasium somewhere, as I have conversations, as we talk about the world, as we talk about all the different things that are going on, there's a common question that many people are asking and that question goes something like this. What in the world is going on? What in the world is going on? When people look at the pandemic and they look at the government uh, mandates and they look at the vaccine and they look at the people getting sick and even the, the crazy novel mystery part of the virus and all that stuff, people are scratching their head and wondering what in the world's going on. When people are looking at the political environment in which we have all, by, <laughs> we're here today alive, that we have lived through, as we look at the political environment, all the way back to the election and all the division, and then since that, and different things that are happening on this side and that side and this argument and that debate, people are wondering what's going on. When we look at the inflation in our country, when we look at the challenges that presents, when we look at traded goods literally sitting in ports all over the place and yet unloaded and not where they need to be, people are asking what's going on. But the truth is many of us, even as we look at the relational strains that we are experiencing, people that we were close to, marriages that were close, families that were close, prior to the pandemic, it seems like now all of those things have been so greatly strained and challenged. Some of us just looking at the weariness in our own heart and soul and we're asking the question, what's going on? Because if anything in the midst of this season, we've come to this realization that frankly, we don't have all control. In fact, there are very few things we can control. We can't control what the government is or isn't doing. We can't control the effectiveness of a vaccine. We can't control what mandates we're going to have. We can't control what's happening to the prices. We can't control how other people feel and respond to all the different divisive issues in the day. Truth be told, we can't even control at times the desires and the temptations of our own heart and flesh. 
And yet in the midst of this dark and challenging uh, culture in which we live, in the midst of the struggles that we have, even at times in our own heart and flesh, in the midst of it all, God is showing us, I believe, through the story of what he did by sending Jesus into the world of this simple truth. Hey, guess what? I am in control. In fact, I would say to us, in every person that we will study, every character that unfolds, whether we're studying Mary or Joseph or the shepherds or the Magi or Simeon or Anna, as we're studying them all, here's what we're gonna find. Even when it seemed impossible, even when it didn't make sense, even when they couldn't understand the whole big picture, in every unlikely situation, God was working and moving and orchestrating and weaving things together to accomplish his divine plan and purpose. Many of us today, scratching our heads, throwing up our hands, what in the world is going on? And I wanna remind us loud and clear this season that the same God who was God 2,000 years ago, he's still God today. He has not abandoned his throne, he has not diminished his power, his plans and his purposes still stand because he and he alone is the living God of heaven. God is in control. And today from Luke chapter one, as we begin to study the life of this young lady by the name of Mary and how she responded to God's working in her life, I want us to look at this simple importance. Yes, God is in control, but that truth brings us to a point of action. And that point of action today is this. We must trust in the power of God. Trusting in the power of God. Of God. Luke chapter one, if you're physically able, will you stand to your feet for the reading of God's word? Beginning in verse 26. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. She was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and he will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have, what's the next two words? No end. What a statement. Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I am a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age and she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. Key statement, for nothing will be impossible with God. Can we read that verse together again, verse 37? For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, behold the bond slave of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We thank you for your love for us. And we thank you for the wonderful reminder and truth that you are in control. God, I pray today as we read these words of scripture that we've probably read hundreds of times, the story we've probably heard even more, God, would you capture our hearts anew and afresh with a reminder that you are God, the reminder that nothing is impossible with you. And in that, God, would you help us to know you and would you help us to trust you walking by faith and living by faith from this day forward, I pray in Jesus' name. 
Amen. God bless you. You may be seated this morning. Trusting the power of God. The angel brings this text to a climactic moment in Luke chapter one when he says, for I want you to know, Mary, nothing will be impossible with God. That wonderful word of truth reminds me of the old story about one day the little boy and the, his mother who got on an airplane, they were flying to visit some family for Christmas. They got on the plane and the little boy was a little restless and so the mother reached into her bag and she pulled out a picture book. It happened to be a Bible story picture book to help the little boy pass the time. He began to look through the pictures and he saw all the old Bible stories depicted as he looked at David and Goliath and as he looked at Daniel in the lion's den. And as he's sitting there looking at this book, an older gentleman came to took, take his seat right there beside him in the airplane. The older gentleman happened to be a Christian, was very familiar with the scriptures, and so he thought, you know what, I'm gonna ask this little boy a question. He looked at the little boy and he pulled out of his pocket a piece of candy. He said, son, I tell you what, I see that you're sitting there looking at the Bible. I tell you what, if you can tell me just one thing that God can do, I'll give you this piece of candy. And without even batting an eye, that little boy reached his hand down into his backpack. He pulled out a huge bag of candy. He said, I tell you what, mister, if you can tell me one thing God can't do, I'll give you the whole bag of candy. What that little boy understood is, is that the God who wrote that Bible and the God who worked in David and Daniel's life and all the saints of old, he's still God and there's nothing he can't do. Well, we see that loud and clear in Luke chapter one as we recognize the power of God and how today, even in our own lives, we can trust in the power of God. Here we learn about Mary, this young virgin girl from the city of Nazareth. Mary's in a season of her life where frankly she's making plans. She is betrothed to Joseph to be married, which meant in that culture, legally they were already married, but they had not consummated their marriage and they did not live together yet. And so they're basically, according to our culture today, they're basically engaged. Joseph is likely working to prepare their house, where they're going to lodge, where they're going to sleep at night. And she's preparing, she's diligently fulfilling her chores, diligently preparing, no doubt dreaming of the day that she's gonna be married to Joseph, thinking about their future, thinking about their family, thinking about all that God would have in store. And it's in the midst of her plans that God completely interrupts everything. You ever been there before? Have you ever been in a situation where you had your plans, your thoughts, your dreams, your agenda, I mean, you're moving forward with it, and all of a sudden, God completely interrupts things. I'm reminded at times that God interruptions to us often seem inconvenient, but God's interruptions are always his divine invitation for us to be a part of his plan and purpose. I remember years ago, whenever Heather and I had gotten married, we were planning to wait three years before we had children, and three months into marriage, God said, surprise. <laughs> and I discovered that we were pregnant. And I remember wrestling with that, like, man, I, I'm not ready to provide for a family, and I don't know how, what this is gonna look like. And, and I remember one of the wise old friends in my life, he was a deacon at the church I pastored previously, he started laughing, like this big old laughter. I said, why are you laughing? He said, Matthew, don't you know, everybody knows, if you wanna hear God laugh, just tell him your plans. Oh, aren't you an encourager? God bless you, brother. You know, like, get out of my face, right? <laughs> the fact is, is that at times things happen that seem maybe inconvenient or not what we were thinking or not what we were hoping and the timing just seems off, but it's always God's invitation for us to join him where he's at work. 
God is inviting Mary in this process of his plan to bring his son to the savior of the entire world here into this place. And so it's in that context, as we learn to trust the power of God, I believe God did four things in Mary's life that will hopefully encourage us and help us to relate to it in our own life today. Four things, if we're gonna trust in the power of God, four things we need to do. Number one, I believe we see loud and clear from what God did is this. God calmed Mary's fears. Now, now let's just pause for a moment and be reminded that the angel was not acting of his own will. This is Gabriel. The, Gabriel is not acting in his own will. Gabriel is simply a messenger from God. God's given him the message. He's told him who to deliver it to. And here comes Gabriel speaking to Mary. He literally begins this conversation by saying in this passage of scripture, now in the sixth month, Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee called Nazareth. He's sent directly from God. So everything that, that Gabriel's doing in this moment, everything that he's saying, everything that he's going to convey is on God's behalf. It's in that context that we see he begins by God calming Mary's fears. Please understand, if you're asking that question, what in the world is going on? You're not the first person to ask the question. The enemy has a powerful way at times of isolating us and causing us to make us feel like we're alone, like we're the only one to ever have hardship and be uncertain about life and to be confused about things. But in that day, there were many people asking the question, what in the world's going on? Throughout the Old Testament, God had raised up prophets and he'd given prophecy upon prophecy about the fact that one day he would send his son to be the savior of the world. He would send his Messiah into the world and God gave all these prophecies. But the bottom line is the people eventually, they stopped looking for that Messiah. They started living for themselves. They turned to their own devices. And as they did, the world became a very dark place. In fact, when the Old Testament comes to a close, God became silent for 400 years. For 400 years, there was no fresh word from God. For 400 years, people are living according to their own devices, doing whatever feels good to themselves. It was a dark, dark place. And yet in the midst of that dark place, there were a remnant of Jews who were still looking for the hope of Israel. They were still looking for this savior to come. No doubt those who were still holding on to that promise were questioning, God, where are you? And what's going on right now? No doubt Mary would ask that question. Here she is in this moment, completely unexpectedly and unbeknownst to her, an angel of God suddenly appears before her and says, greetings, <laughs> greetings, favored one. Greetings, the Lord is with you. The Bible says in this moment that she was perplexed, but the better translation of the King James is, she was terrified, she was afraid. Have you ever been in that moment where you're looking at the darkness of the world around you and the hopelessness and the despair that you feel in your own heart and frankly, you're afraid? Have you ever been in a moment that was so unexpected, so unanticipated that it seemed like instantly there's something radical happened, there's something changing and you're not comfortable with it and so in that moment, there's a sense of fear? That's exactly where Mary's at in this moment. But what does God speak to her through the angel in this moment? It's very simple. Simply says this. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Don't be afraid, Mary, for you found favor with God. That word favor literally means much grace. 
Mary, you don't have to be afraid because the living God of heaven is extending much grace towards you. You don't have to be afraid, Mary, because the living God of heaven, he's aware of you. He knows you by name. He knows your city. He knows his plan for your life. He's extending much grace to you even in this moment. There's a lot that the angel would say in the moments that would follow, but he started with calming her fears, which brings me to a simple reminder for us today. God has the power to calm your fears. And God, when we look to him and trust him and walk in his grace, he will calm those fears. There are many things in our life, no doubt through this season that we have learned, whether we've expressed it or not, or just dealt with it internally, there are many things that may cause us to fear. The health crises of life, the uncertainty of our future, the insecurity that we might have in finances, the unstable national issues, the stability of our marriage, the loneliness that we might face. Fear is a result of all of these things. And it is a natural part of our human lives. Some try to ignore fear like it's not even there. Some try to dismiss it as if it's not even a real emotion. Yet God shows us that we must acknowledge our fears and look to him for the grace and the help that we need. Just this past week, I was reminded of that. As I was reading in my time with the Lord, I've been reading chronologically and I came to the book of 2 Corinthians and I was reading 2 Corinthians chapter seven and, and I just saw this two little words of scripture that just was a powerful reminder to me. Many of us in church, we know about this guy by the name of the Apostle Paul. He was a man that used to persecute Christians and then he, he met Jesus on the Damascus Road and he became a follower of Christ and he became eventually known as the Apostle Paul who was taking the gospel message to the ends of the earth. We often put him at times on a pedestal like he's this, this great hero of the faith and God did extraordinary things in and through him. But listen to his own testimony of fear, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse five. For even when we came into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest. Pause for a moment. Does that describe you today? Our flesh had no rest. He's describing himself at a point of absolute sheer exhaustion. He doesn't know how he's gonna move forward. But we were afflicted on every side. Listen to this. Conflicts without, fears within. The great apostle Paul, who God is doing extraordinary things with, the great apostle Paul, who would talk about joy in the Lord in Philippians, the great apostle Paul, who would talk about being content in Christ, he would say, listen, it was overwhelming. There were conflicts outside of me. There was all sorts of brokenness and darkness. And even within me, there was fear welling up within me. We'd think in that moment, man, that, that must have been hard. He's exhausted, there's conflicts, there's fear. But listen to what the rest of the text says in verse six. But God who comforts the depressed comforted us by the coming of Titus. And you go on to read the rest of the pastor's scripture and he begins to identify specific things that God did to comfort him. What I'm saying to you loud and clear is this, God has the power to calm our fears. When we look to him, when we trust in him, when we recognize his grace in our life, he calms our fears. Five chapters later in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, this same apostle Paul, as he's speaking, he begins to tell about this thorn in the flesh that he had. Personally, I believe that it was likely a physical ailment that he had, a physical issue, a condition that would not go away. And Paul says of this thorn in the flesh that, that literally it tormented him. And the word there literally means it caused him anguish, pain, and suffering. 
In other words, following Jesus wasn't easy. It was, it was something that tormented him. And, he, and the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 12, he prays three times, God, would you deliver me? God, would you take it away? God, would you make this load lighter? God, would you make this life easier? God, would you take away this thorn in the flesh? But listen to what he concludes in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And God said to me, my what? My grace is sufficient for you. For power is perfected in weakness. Listen to Paul's response. So most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses and with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Listen, in that statement, the apostle Paul is saying loud and clear, God, it's not merely that I want to experience your power working through me. It's not merely that I want to experience your power working for me. It's not merely that I want to experience your power working on me. God, as I surrender to you, as I submit my weakness to you, as I trust in your sufficient grace, it's there that your power goes to work within me. So often in our life, we're looking, oh God, would you do this over here? Would you bless me over here? God, would you show this over here? Would you do the impossible over here? And what God is most interested in is what he's wanting to do within you as you trust him and submit to him and walk and experience his grace. God looks at Mary through Gabriel. Oh Mary, don't be afraid for God has extended much grace towards you. All the things that stirred up fear in Paul were silenced when he put his focus on God and relied on his sufficient grace. And the same is true with Mary and the same will be true in our own life as we recognize that God has the power to calm our fears. Someone say, man, you know, Pastor Matt, I sure would have all my fears calmed if I had the voice and the message like, from an angel like Mary had, right? Well, if I just had Gabriel come visit me, I would have peace too. Well, can I just remind you, you may not have an angel, but I wanna remind you this. The angel's presence was temporary. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, who you have with you is not temporary. Because in Christ Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit of God. And if you have the Holy Spirit of God within you, he's not leaving you, he's not forsaking you, he will be with you at all times. Not only do we have the Holy Spirit of God who leads us, who counsels us, convicts us, and hello, he is the great comforter who comforts us. We have the word of God at all times. We don't need the voice of an angel when we have the voice of God through his written word. And as we depend upon his word, as we look to the Holy Spirit's leading, he calms our fears, but that brings us to a second point, and that is this. God called her to partner in his work. Now that Mary's fears are silenced, now that her, her, her mind is not racing with terror of the fact that there's a heavenly angel in her presence, now God calls her to partner in his work. The angel wasted no time in conveying the simple message, Mary, you will have a child and you will name him Jesus. But that's not all that the angel said. The angel didn't just say, Mary, you're gonna have a child, you're gonna name him Jesus. No doubt, she's already daydreaming and thinking about one day when she will have a child. But the angel begins to declare something very interesting and very unique that Mary wasn't expecting. Verse 32, and this child, he will be great and he will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God, listen to this, will give him the throne of his father, David. 
Wait a second, what does that mean? And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. Mary's hearing this message and as she's hearing this message, she's beginning to relate and identify the fact that what the angel is saying is unique. He's not just saying, Mary, you're gonna have a child. It's gonna be awesome in the future. No, he says, you're gonna have a child and this child's gonna be called the son of God. And, and, and God is gonna give him the throne of his father, David, and this child that's gonna be conceived in your womb, his kingdom will have no end. <laughs> I'm sure in that moment, Mary's like, Scratching her head for a second. But, 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 but wait a second, do, do, do you know who I am? No, nobody knows me. I, I, I'm just this simple virgin girl that's, that's living here in, in Nazareth. What are you, really? Please understand, Nazareth was like one of the smallest towns in biblical times. It was known, literally, most scholars believe there were more livestock and animals there than there were people. I saw a town like that this summer as we were taking our trip back from the west, back towards the east. We went through a town called Bondurant, Wyoming. As we entered the town, there was a sign that said, Bondurant, Wyoming, population 100 people. And as we drove through the town, as God is my witness, I swear this town was the inspiration for every old western that you've ever seen, except for the fact I didn't see a single living, breathing soul there, okay? The one thing I did see in Bondurant, Wyoming were horses everywhere, I found out through Wikipedia, assuming it's correct, because Wikipedia never lies, <laughs> that there are over a thousand horses in Bondurant and about a hundred people in Bondurant, okay? In other words, the only reason it stood out to me is because there was almost nothing there. Nazareth was like that. In that day, it was kind of like the hick town of the day. It was despised. In fact, in John chapter one, verse 46, Nathanael's told about Jesus, the savior who's come from Nazareth and he so despised Nazareth. Here's what he says in John chapter one. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? <laughs> Are you kidding? You know, like, can any good thing come out of Mount Solon or something? I mean, it's just, I'm, just pick, I'm picking, come on. <laughs> the point is they're looking at a rural community. That, that's, the, that's the point. I only picked it that because we have some faithful, godly, wonderful people from Mount Solon. The point is, why, why would a savior of the world come from Nazareth? I mean, surely if God's gonna send a savior, he's gonna send a mighty, political, powerful military leader. He's gonna come to Jerusalem. He's gonna be a mighty king and all. Surely if God's gonna raise up a messenger, it's gonna be a prophet or a political leader. Not a virgin girl named Mary from the city of Nazareth. But God has an incredible way of doing impossible things extraordinary things through ordinary people and means so that he gets the glory. In this moment, Mary is hearing this word. This, this son is gonna be called the son of God. God's gonna give him the throne of his father, David, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary is understanding and she's hearing and connecting the fact that this is the fulfillment of the prophecies of old. Isaiah chapter nine, listen to verses two, verses six through seven, nearly 700 years before the birth of Jesus, listen to what God declared about this savior. Here's what he says. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. For, oh, interesting statement, a child will be born to us. 
a son will be given to us and the government will rest on his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Listen to this. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. Listen to the ending of the statement. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. The God who has all power and all authority in his great zeal, he's gonna work to accomplish his plan and his purpose. He's gonna work to fulfill his promise because he has all power, he has all authority and there's nothing he can't do. Mary hears this word about the baby that will be born to her and she recognizes and identifies that the child being declared in this moment is the prophet is the fulfillment of the prophecies of old. She recognizes in this moment that God is giving her a divine invitation to partner with him in his work. Mary, in this moment, no doubt, I think felt completely like the most unlikely person possible. I think in this moment, she felt so unworthy, like, who am I, God? Who am I that you would use me? Who am I that you would choose me to be the vessel through which you send your Savior into the world? No doubt she had heard all those prophecies of old about the virgin conceiving and about this child that would come, this one that would come to rule and to reign to be the Savior for all the world. And she read of those and she heard of those and like every other Jew before her, she was probably amazed and even at some point anticipated. But the reality is this, she felt like she had little connection with that. And yet in this moment, God is showing her, Mary, I have chosen you. I want to remind you today that there might be times that you feel unworthy. You you may not have come from a big town. You may not have come from a big family. You may not have come from big money or anything else. But I want to remind you today that God's plans and purposes stand God did not choose Mary because she was so great and so wonderful. He chose her because it was a part of his divine plan to bring salvation into the world. 1 Corinthians 1, verses 27 to 29 simply says this, God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong, and the base things of the world, and the despised God has chosen the things that are not, so that he may nullify the things that are. Listen to this, so that no man may boast before God. You're in high position. You're in a place of influence. You're in a place of leadership. I want to remind you, it is only by the grace of God and it is for his glory. God would work in Mary's life in such a way and through others' lives in such a way that they couldn't boast in themselves, look at what I've done, look at what I've earned, look at my position, look at my prestige, look at my ability, look at my skills, look at my money. No, 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 no. God worked in such a way that they would know it was only God who did it, it was by God's grace he raised them up, it was by God's blessing he provided, and it would be God who would get the glory. And can I just just give a word of encouragement, a reminder If God has raised you in that position and you're not giving God glory, please remember God can remove you from that and bring someone to that position who will give him glory. Number three, God convinced her of his power. God convinced her of his power. Mary, this child that's to be born in you is gonna be called the son of God. 
He's gonna be given the throne of his father, David, and his kingdom will have no end. And it's in that moment that Mary asked a question. Some have criticized Mary for this question, like it's a question of doubt, but I don't believe that's the case at all because of another passage of scripture that we're gonna see in just a moment. But Mary asked a question in verse 34. Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I am a virgin? You're, you're telling me that I'm gonna have a child, that I'm gonna conceive, that this child's gonna be the son of God. How can this happen since I am a virgin? Now, some people say, oh, well, this means she's a young lady. That's some translations, but the reality is, it's clear from Joseph's account in Matthew chapter one, not only is she a young lady, but she's a young lady who has never intimately known a man. In other words, as Mary asked this question, it was an honest question. And notice the angel did not rebuke her. God did not condemn her, shame her, or criticize her for her question. It was an honest question as she saw understanding simply of how God was going to fulfill what he had just said he was going to do. In other words, it's not a lack of faith. Mary fully believed the message from the angel. Her question is simply this. It's a question not of uncertainty, but a question of understanding. She's not doubting the promise of God. She's just wanting clarity on the process of God. God, how are you gonna do this? How is this going to happen? Luke chapter one, verse 45, the Bible shows us that Mary believed the message. In fact, the Bible says that when Mary entered the house to visit Elizabeth, she spoke. And the baby, which we know today is John the Baptist, inside of Elizabeth's womb, by the way, not a fetus, the baby in Elizabeth's womb leaped for joy. And when the baby leaped for joy, Elizabeth began to praise God. And Luke chapter one, verse 45 says this, blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. Mary believed the message, but she questioned, how's it gonna happen? I'm hearing you, God. I, I, I know that you have power. I'm trusting your promise here. Like I'm believing it's true, but I don't understand how you're going to bring this about. And it's in the answer that God does three things that convinces her of his power. And I've got to say them fairly quickly. Number one, God and his power, God's power was announced through his plan. God basically announced through Gabriel, what his plan was. Notice what he says in verse 35. He simply says this, the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. Now let me pause for just a moment. The angel told her enough detail for her to understand what God was going to do. But the angel did not give her every detail of what was to occur. The angel did not give her so many details that it overwhelmed her. The angel did not give her so many details that she would try to control and manipulate things. The angel gave her enough details for her to understand that this word is from God, that God is able. She simply had to trust him and obey and take the next step further. In other words, Mary, I want you to know this. I'm gonna give you a child, but you don't have to take matters into your own hands here. This child's not gonna be conceived the way that every other child that you've ever heard of has been conceived. You don't have to get impatient with me. You don't have to have a lack of trust in me. You don't have to woo Joseph. That's not how this is gonna happen. But let me tell you what is gonna happen, Mary. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high living God of heaven is gonna overshadow you and you will conceive. Therefore, the child that is within you will be called the son of God. That's what the angel said. And the truth is, is that from Mary's statement, 
Not one other time do we see her asking a question. In other words, that simple truth about God and his power was enough for her to trust, enough for her to have faith in, and enough for her to walk and surrender to. Can I just remind you where we sometimes get it wrong? I can't speak for you, but I'll speak for myself. I sometimes get it wrong when I ask God to map out every step along the way. God, would you show me your plan for the next 50 years of my life so I can map it out strategically, step by step by step by step by step? Because ultimately, I'm looking at God and saying, God, I want to know the whole thing. I want you to map it out for me perfectly and clearly. I want to know everything about it. Because ultimately, what I'm really saying is this. God, I'm not willing to trust you with the next step, so you map them all out for me in advance. Oftentimes when we come to God in that way, God, show me all the steps. What we're really saying is, God, I wanna figure out what I want to do, what I'm comfortable with. I wanna pick and choose along the way. Why? Because I'm trusting myself and not you. Sometimes my children will ask me, Dad, what's our plan for the day? And I'll be like, I don't know the details, but tonight we're probably gonna eat dinner and watch a family movie. Yeah, but what are we gonna do in the next 30 minutes? And what time are we gonna do this? And when are we gonna call them? And when are we gonna go Christmas shopping? And, and I'm like... Will you just trust me? I don't know what all we're doing, right? And I'm a dad, I love my kids, but God knows his plans and his will is always perfect. The question is not God's, the ability and the power of God's plan. The question is the ability for us to trust him. Are we trusting him? God's power announced to her his plans and frankly, it was enough for her. The old preachers used to say it this way, God said it, that settles it, and I believe it, period, Mary believed that if the, if the almighty God of heaven had the power to create the earth in six literal days, if almighty God of heaven could out of the dust of the ground form man and breathe into him the breath of life, if the almighty God of heaven could cause man to fall asleep, take a rib from his side and make a woman, if the almighty God of heaven can do that, then touching her, overshadowing her womb and causing her to conceive was nothing to him. So God announced his plan. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm gonna overshadow you, you're gonna conceive, and you will have a child. Number two, God's power was affirmed through his proof. I love this statement. He didn't just give her this blanket statement, oh, by the way, this is what's gonna happen, here's the plan, no. He affirmed it through his proof. Notice what the Bible says in verse 36. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age, and she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. Elizabeth, most scholars believe at this time, was somewhere between the ages of 88 and 95 years old. She is well past the years for giving birth to a child, okay? It, in that culture, if you were to not have a child, there were many challenges that you would face. The family had long lost hope that Elizabeth would ever have a child. And yet the angel says, and behold. In other words, that word behold means pay attention, open your eyes, don't miss this, okay? Behold is what your neighbor's doing when they're elbowing you, telling you to wake up in the middle of church on a Sunday morning, like behold, pay attention, don't miss this, right? Behold, pay attention to this. Even your relative Elizabeth in her old age, she who was called barren, she was never able to have children. God has touched her womb. God has done the impossible. She has conceived and she is going to give birth to a child. In other words, this statement was God giving her something specific to see and experience that would give her peace and calm any 
doubts. God was giving her a practical word of proof and encouragement to help her as she walked forward. Think of it for just a moment. Mary in the coming days was gonna face all sorts of challenges. She was going to face perhaps the rejection of the crowd, the rejection of the man who loved her. She would face the ridicule of those who would mock her. She would face potentially persecution and even being stoned to death as the rabbis and the priests would assume many things of her. There was a lot of uncertainties about it, but in this moment, God is giving her in this moment a simple word of affirmation, a word of affirmation to say, listen, I am working, I am moving, I have power. Look, even Elizabeth is pregnant. What I'm simply saying to you is this, there are times in our life as God is leading us and guiding us that he gives us moments, he gives us glimpses. It might be a word from the scriptures. It might be a song. It might be a testimony of a friend. It might be simply the leading of the Holy Spirit. But it's a word of assurance in that moment to remind you that he is God and that he's working and that he's moving You're not alone. He does have power and he's working things together for his glory. Can I just remind you when those moments of assurance happen, stop, pause for a moment, give praise to God, write them down and hold on to them. Because in those times of darkness and those times of uncertainty and those times of difficulty when the enemy's doing all that he can to knock you off course, you've got to hold on to those words of assurance, those words of proof where God has worked and moved and demonstrated his power. Number three, God's power was assured through his promise. All of this is bringing us to a climactic moment of summary that we've already read together. Here's what he says. I want you to know something, Mary. Even as God has touched the womb of Elizabeth and he's caused it to spring forth with life, even as God is touching your womb and he's causing it to spring forth with life, I want it to be known loud and clear, verse 37, that nothing will be impossible with God. This was a word of personal promise to Mary, but it's also a powerful word of promise to every single one of us today. What is it in your life that seems impossible? What is that situation, that that person what is that thing that feels like a lost cause, like there's, there's no turning back? What is it that seems completely impossible? Whatever that is, I want to encourage you to submit it under the authority of Scripture and read it and under it, that statement, for nothing will be impossible with God. But, but, but this person is still not turned to Jesus. Nothing is impossible with God. Well, this relationship's not been restored. Nothing is impossible with God. But this can never happen in the context of ministry and missions. Nothing is impossible with God. God is looking in the midst of doubts and darknesses and uncertainties in our life and he's trying to remind us that he's God. He has all power. He has authority. He's sovereignly working all things together for his glory. We've got to look to him and recognize by faith nothing's impossible with him. Instead of living by doubt, let us live with certainty that he is God, that he is in control and with devotion to him to trust him in our life. Every single one of us at times may face doubt. Every single one of us at times may face discouragement. Every single one of us at times may be fearful. Every single one of us at times may be uncertain. And yet in the midst of it all, the God we know and love and serve, he alone is God and nothing is impossible 
with him. Can I just say to you, Crossland Community Church, I believe that we are reaching a day in our church where God is gonna call us in the coming days to take some major steps of faith and obedience. And humanly speaking, there are gonna be some things about it that at times may seem impossible, but I wanna encourage us in the coming days, hold on to that truth that nothing is impossible with him. Finally, I want you to see this. God called for a response. God called for a response. Mary hears the promise of God hears this incredible statement about his power and even understands a little bit of the plan, not the whole thing. But Mary understood, as we say here oftentimes, that God's word is not given merely for our information, but for our transformation. God doesn't give us his word so that we will be knowledgeable, but so that we will be brought to a relationship of knowing God. Mary in this moment hears, Mary, I've chosen you. I'm extending my grace towards you. You're gonna have a child. I'm gonna overshadow you and the child that's conceived in you is gonna be called the son of God. He's gonna be the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords and his kingdom will have no end. Mary hears all this, but she doesn't merely accept it as facts. She accepts it with an understanding that God's truth demands a response from her. Can I just remind you that when God reminds you of his truth, it demands a response from us. Sometimes I'm like, man, when I hear God's word, God's word or God's truth, I just feel good. Well, that's awesome, but feeling good is not enough. You can feel good all you want to and leave here every single week completely unchanged. Man, I sure felt good. Well, that's awesome. Feelings come and go. In fact, I would even remind us that at times it's God who makes us feel not so good to bring us to a place of response. At times he comforts us, yes, but at times he convicts us. Either way, it requires a response from us. And Mary understands that. So here in this moment, Mary makes a decision. She has a choice. Do I receive this message by faith? Do I walk in obedience to it? Do I surrender to God's will or do I reject it? Do I harden my heart? Do I say, God, I don't like your plans. I'll choose my own, thank you very much. Or do I say yes to him? Listen to what Mary said. In my mind, this is so simple, but so profound. Mary said, behold, the bond slave of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. And instantly, the angel departed from her. You know what I'm most impressed with by Mary's response? Mary was a common person like you and I. She was a sinner just like you and I, in need of God's grace. By the time you get to Luke chapter one, she's thanking God for being her savior, which means she acknowledged that she needed a savior. But what amazes me about her response of surrender 
is all the things she didn't know. God didn't tell her in this moment, hey, everything's gonna be fine with Joseph. I'm gonna work it out. Didn't tell her that. She didn't know how Joseph was gonna respond. No idea how he would respond to her situation. The angel never told her, hey, guess what? All the people that are gonna come against you to falsely accuse, mock, and ridicule you, yeah, I'm gonna take care of them too. God, she had no idea how people were gonna respond to her. God didn't say, hey, listen, I'm gonna send a prophet to confront the priests and the, and the scribes so that they don't stone you to death when they find that you're pregnant prior to being married. God gave her no guarantee of that. So, so picture, picture this, this young, most likely teenage girl, most scholars believe she was like 15-ish years old, 16 maybe. She doesn't know if this is gonna cost her her life her popularity, her husband. She, she doesn't know all the ways that her body's going to be changed. Literally in this moment, all of her hopes and her dreams and her future, all of her plans, they're all in this moment. And here's what she says. God, I'm your bond slave. I'm your bond servant. I love you. I'm looking to you. And so God, here's all of this. Here are all my unknowns. Here's all my future. God, I trust you. I surrender to you. Let it be to me according to your word. I'm with you. In that moment, she was demonstrating a faith that is absolutely extraordinary. And I just remind you, it's according to Hebrews chapter 11, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. We encourage you to come and join us right here on our campus. We're located right next to the county fairgrounds here in Harrisonburg, Virginia. If you have any questions about the church, any question about the message, feel free to email us or call us and let us know. And we look forward to seeing you soon. God bless you.